0: I am so delighted to introduce to you our good friends, Alan and Catherine Scott. We've been friends with them now for over 10 years easily. Um, They've been integral to actually Kathleen and I discovering what it looks like for us to minister together. But not only that, they carry an apostolic grace. That means they help you understand what it means to be fully you in Christ and engage in changing the world around you. That's what the apostolic means. And so it's an incredible uh, privilege to have them with us Like I often say, you want to place a demand on the gift. In other words, you want to say, God, give me some of what they carry.
1: Yeah, you know, when the Bible uh, describes for us apostles and other gifts that Jesus gives to the church, the description of those gifts isn't so that we would be really impressed and see people as superheroes in faith, but rather the description of those gifts is a reproducing gift, that what you see in their lives, the gifts that they carry, the revelation of Christ that they carry, the intention of that gift is that it would be reproducible in the lives of those around them. And so I want to encourage you, church, we have apostles in our midst today. I don't say that lightly. Uh, We don't don't call everyone who just uh, has a, self-laminated badge, an apostle. Uh, But I wanna say to you, these are authentic apostles in the church today, and we have the joy of receiving from them, and what God has done in their life, the fruit that they are carrying, we get to receive today in seed form. We have watched over the years as they planted a church in Northern Ireland, saw that grow in phenomenal ways, saw miracles happening, remarkable things that we dream of, really shaped the city that they were in, and then we watched as God moved them to the States, and now they live on the West Coast and uh, lead an amazing community, community called Dwelling Place Anaheim. I want to encourage you, church. Today is a day to receive incredible wisdom and revelation that will sharpen your life and will set you on the course for destiny. Alan and Catherine, we love you and we receive you. Why don't you come up, Alan?
0: Uh, It's so fun. Wow, you're too kind. I just said to Cathy, I'm going to get you to tell my girls I'm all that. That is amazing. That's just, guys, what a, we knew it would be good. We had no idea that Jesus would show up the way he has already, right? It's just stunning. What, a, what a, It's always a gift to be around Julian and Cathy and uh, to see what God is doing in them. And uh, they're wonderful friends, deeply kind people who just love Jesus. And I don't know about you, but I always wanna be around people who love Jesus. That's just a good place to be. And to be here at the table, having heard a little of their dream of that for a long time, and um, to see what that looks like when it comes to life, to look into the eyes of people who are fully alive in Jesus is just, man, it's beautiful. And then to come into this, whatever this is, what is this? It's like a skill unlike any other. Um, if you're wondering, I should have said this already, if you're wondering, my accent is Texan. So uh, just to put you at ease in that so you can follow me the rest of the way. But my goodness, this is unlike schools anywhere. I, I don't think I've quite seen anything quite like this. And, uh, and it felt, as we worshiped together, it kind of felt um, like a portal, didn't it? It felt like his presence was so near and so deep and so rich and um, I'm going to do my best, I, I always have great admiration at home for our guys who do the announcements after worship, because I just want to keep singing and singing and singing and like I think it's really difficult to do what they just did, but I, I'm going to do my best to speak into some realities that's my sense of what the Father may be speaking over you as a community. and. Um, yeah, so I, what I'd love to do is just pray for a moment and then jump in. Would that be okay? If you, if you love the scriptures, we're going to be in 1 Samuel chapter 9 is where we're going to journey together a little. Father, I want to thank you for your grace at the table. I want to thank you. We, again, we just say you're, you're in the head seat. The table is yours and all the compromise all that it promises and all that it offers. And Father, I pray today, would you, uh, would you give me grace? Would you open your word? Would you expand our minds? Would you enlarge our hearts? Uh, would you help me to give away what you've put within us for this people? I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would do what you alone can do. That you would exalt Jesus in us and over us. That you would renew our minds together. For the sake of the city, we pray. Amen. Amen. So we're going to jump into this. It would be remiss of me not to say how wonderful it is just to be in Boston. Irish people in Boston. My wife is from Ireland. Rich history of invading this city. <laughs> and it used to take them ages to get here. Like we flew in yesterday, and there's an old African proverb that says you know, you need time for your soul to catch up with your body. And our body, yesterday was in Orange County, and here we are today, and I'm still kind of catching up to, like, life has just changed in my whole other city. Um, and for those people who came over way back in the day, uh, they weren't just changing locations. They, they were, what I want to describe to you today, they were changing dimensions. They weren't just coming to a new geography that was easy to settle in. What they were coming to was a land of hope and aspiration, of freedom that they sensed that this would offer them a different future. Uh, What they didn't realize is that they would still be on the other side when they got there. Mm -hmm. Uh, So they were leaving everything behind except the one thing that they probably needed to leave behind, which was them. (laughs) Have you noticed that when you go away on holiday? I think you call it vacation. The problem with going away on vacation is you're still there, (laughs) (laughs) like isn't isn't it true? And I think what the Lord wants to do today is enlarger um, thinking, larger understanding. So I know it's Boston, I know you guys like to think, and I've got something that I'm gonna, I'm gonna put the cookies on the top shelf today So you're going to have to stretch. It's not my desire to sound like Mr. Miyagi and be all esoteric. That's not my goal at all today. But this will be. Parts of this will be over your head, and that's okay. That's a good thing. It's supposed to be there. It's not quite for now. And other parts you'll be able to run with almost immediately, and you'll begin to get it. So the way I describe this is sometimes your life moves faster than your mind. Sometimes you have greater faith for something that your life isn't yet ready for, but your faith will take you into a place that you're not able to sustain just yet. And this, uh, my experience in this a number of years ago was that I got an email one day saying that the Prime Minister of England would like uh, me to come to number 10 Downing Street. Well, that's not a normal day in my life. That's about the worst email you could possibly send me. I am originally from Scotland, so the idea of going to the House of Oppressive Governance in England It's just, it's just an unusual day. And immediately I got it. I thought it was my friend, Pete Gregg, winding me up. I thought, he's so naughty. He knows I hate anything formal. I I don't like anything where there's more than three spoons. Do you? It's like, I don't know if I'm supposed to play them or who am I supposed to be in that moment? I don't quite know. and I, I just checked with a number of people. I checked with Pete and a number of people, and uh, it, it was true. It was like this invite from the Prime Minister. And so I went. we went to the big city in our nation. We, I bought a brand-new suit, and I got it fitted, and I felt terrible. I never wear a suit. Like, <laughs> only for a court appearance would you wear a suit, right? You had no other occasion. And, and uh, I got, like, this uh, overcoat jacket thing. And you go through gates and uh, into 10 Downing Street. You go down... Gates. Have you ever been? No. Well, maybe one day you'll go. You go through these gates and you knock on the door. And this is all I'd ever seen in the TV is you knock on the door and you never see what's on the other side. But they open the door and they welcome us in. And uh, they take your technology because you can't have that there. And they gave me, he took my coat, he took my technology, he's a little security man. And he gave me a number. And I kid you not, my number was 007. Like I'm not, I'm not making that up. This is my number and I'm thinking, this is like surreal. My mind, my mind is just blown at this time. I can't take any of it in and I'm walking walk up these stairs and I'm walking up the stairs and there's like pictures of former prime ministers and people who are well-known in England and I, it's there I discovered that Earl Grey is not a tea bag, like Earl Grey actually was a real person. You're like, Earl Grey is a real person. And, you're going up and I'm seeing all these prime ministers and I, I just feel like I'm completely in the wrong place. I, when I moved to California, I realized there's a name for this, it's called imposter syndrome. And I'm there and um, I would have known that in the UK except we don't do therapy in the UK, but in California we do therapy. And so so I didn't know I was in imposter syndrome but I'm going up the steps and, and they offer you this thing, it's called canopies. Now I'm not a huge foodie but I like a little bit more to eat than something like this big, and and, um, anyway, I'm there just for a long time, and I keep thinking, this is just bizarre. How did I get here? And my life had just moved faster than my mind, and sometimes God positions you in places that you're not yet quite ready for. The Bible says, if God is for us, and the answer is you. You can be against you. And you can utterly sabotage everything that God is leading you into because of the internal barriers that you have. And so today we're going to do a little heart work as God repositions us. And we're going to do it from First Samuel chapter 9. And uh, I should move that on. And, and part of my reason for this, I believe there's an expansive grace upon your church where the Father desires to enlarge who you are and to enlarge what he has for us, that he wants to give you largeness of heart so that what he pours out would be sustained. There would be capacity in that for what it is that he's giving. Um, We had a little glimpse, didn't we, when COVID hit of um, how people who have carefully, um, I don't know what it's like in Boston, but how people who have carefully cultivated their rhythms in life, when reality comes differently, suddenly their life is thrown and they don't know what to do because their old rhythms don't fit the new reality. And they find themselves wondering, who am I now and how do I live within that? And this is what happens here. We have essentially what is a dimension text. We have a text where up until this moment in the story of God, it's all about judges and rulers. But in this text, God is moving it towards a kingdom. And so we have a shift in the story of God's people and the way that God is going to govern them and what that's going to mean for them and the surrounding nations. And the person who's catalytic in that shift is a man named Saul. And Saul is like, he should have been in therapy his whole life. He has got like all sorts of stuff going on in his life. And the Bible says he was from Benjamin. He was the son of Kish, which turns out is not a dish that you serve. And he had a son whose name was Saul, a handsome young man. There was not a man among the people of Israel more handsome than he. From his shoulders upward, he was taller than any of the people. And the Bible is describing that in dimensions. They're just saying, gosh, this guy was head and shoulders like streets above everybody around him. He was the obvious choice for God to make king. And what Saul doesn't know is that heaven's been having a conversation over his life that's about to unfold in his life and is going to change the dimension of his future. And he thinks he's living in the old season, but what he's coming into is a new dimension. And that new dimension is going to unravel everything he understands about the world. And it's going to position him in a place of royal identity where he becomes someone who learns how to govern and he's never known how to govern before. He doesn't understand jurisdiction or territory or what the Lord has for him. He's just this little guy in his town living his life and he doesn't see himself at all from heaven's perspective didn't see any of what God has for him and often when God is introducing us to a different dimension of what it is that he has for us often the catalyst for that will be a problem so when God often wants to shift us into something he'll introduce or he'll permit a problem now, I know for some of you that might be like wow is that revelation just to say that problems are not demonic like they're not I've been rebuking the problems are not demonic problems are given or allowed or permitted to expose the solutions that lie within you that God has placed within you and when we come to an understanding of who we are we begin to realize that where God has placed us is not as big as what he's placed within us and this is where we're going to drive a little today that many of you believe that God has placed you into a city that's bigger than what he's placed within you and that's a lie that's not true what God has placed you into is bigger than the city around you. He's given you a kingdom within you right. that is bigger than the kingdoms all around you. It's bigger than the kingdoms of the earth. But because you don't see it yet, it's really hard to believe. You're like me going up the stairs like, Earl Grey is a... You're just like, what is this? How, how does this work? How can this be true? I, I've never heard. What does that mean for me? And Saul has a problem. And his problem is that his life is not yet aligned geographically, relationally, mentally spiritually with what God has for him. and I wish, there was, I wish there was a service you could come to, I so wish this for us when we landed in California, where you get an impartation that fixes all those things. Like somebody just lays hands on you. Like I am bald because I've had hands laid on me so many times during the years for all my problems. <laughs> right. But I wish, I wish we could just pray and say that's it, now there's relational realignment in your life, spiritual real, it doesn't work like that. God's word creates your territory, but you have to work with them to bring about a new mentality. Yes. He will do through revelation. He'll give you everything he has for you. You don't have to work for that. That's how he sets it up. But you have to work on you. Yes. You have to work. Well, that's why the Bible says, be transformed through the renewing of your mind. Yes. Like that's, that's a choice that we make in that. And so all I'm trying to say in that is sometimes we have to upgrade our thinking. And the way God upgrades our thinking is he allows a problem. A brilliant person once said, I forget who it was, he said, you cannot solve a problem on the same level in which it was created. In other words, if you're thinking the same level as the problem, you'll never be able to solve it. So you can't solve it there. We have to upgrade how we think in order to solve it. And so Saul has a problem, and his problem is, verse three, that the donkeys donkeys, (laughs) donkeys of Kish, Saul's father, were lost. And so his problem is what? It's not his pet, is it? What is his donkey to him? It's part of his income, it's part of his dad's business. He's got a problem in his business. And what he didn't know is his problem with his income was sent by God to teach him. There was a kingdom within him where he would no longer need that source of income for his future, but until he moved from where he was to where he was going, he would never catch that. And so right now, he's chasing donkeys instead of living in destiny, but that's okay. He hasn't yet transitioned, right? He hasn't yet, his, his mind is still where it's always been. He's like, I have a problem, my problem, I need to get some ministry for my problem. No, no, you need to think differently around the problem, right? And so he's there, he's got this, but that upgrade only happens as we arise, is as we get moving. And many people are really happy, aren't they, to stay where they are, I get ahead of myself that. Anyway, the donkeys are missing, the dad says, take one of the young men with you and arise, go and look for the donkeys. And sometimes you have to know, again I'm not trying to be Mr. Miyagi in this, and I'm speaking mainly to me, sometimes you have to know what the disruption in your life is signalling. Many people were so relieved to get through COVID so they could get back to a normal they were trying to escape from before COVID happened. Yeah. I could say that again, but it's probably not worthwhile saying again. But they were, they tried to, they, they didn't embrace the disruption at all. They didn't see that disruption was a gift of transition that would allow them to reposition for their future. And so they just immediately went back to who they were and that was already very broken. And... It was difficult for them. They didn't realize the disruption was signaling a change of provision. They didn't know that new connections were waiting for them. They just went back and restored everything that they felt they had lost in that. But when God is moving in a new way, he wants us to move into a new mind. He wants to give us something that's just a little bit different. And to help us see our communities differently in that, our cities differently. So verse 4, we'll see how we go. As he passed through the hill country of Ephraim and passed through the land of that place, they did not find them. And so they passed through the land of Shalim, but they were not there. And then they passed through the land of Benjamin, but did not find them. And honestly, when I looked at this, I I was almost gonna skip this verse until I felt God sneak something into my heart for you Bostonians. And uh, this is what he said to me. He said, lack will cause you to pass through what God has called you to occupy and establish. Let me let me help you understand this biblically. When God called Abraham, what did he tell him to do with the land? What did Abraham have to do with the land? Had to walk through it, didn't he? And he said this, every place you set your foot, I will There's this book. It's called the Bible. For those of you who are seems to be all of you in the room who are twenty five and under, it's now available in print and I recommend it to you. It's it's very retro and it's wonderful. But when you he said, when you walk through I'm gonna give you every place you set your foot, right? Here's Saul walking through his kingdom but he doesn't know it's his kingdom yet. All he's focused on is what he lacks. He doesn't know that he's called to not only occupy that place, but he's going to be called to establish something new in that domain. But right now, all he's living with is the lack in his life, and the donkeys are missing. So God takes him on a journey all through the land, gets him walking because he would never have believed it had God said, go walk through. He's walking all through it. And I, I kind of felt like this. Some of you had the faith to enter the territory here, to come to Boston, to enter the territory, but you don't feel like you have enough equity or currency to change it. So you're kind of walking around Boston so aware of your lack, so aware of what you don't have, and unaware entirely that actually the same God who brought you here will establish you here. He will establish the table here. He'll give you all the resource that you need. He is a God not only of inheritance but and governance, but a God of abundance and he has more than enough. Like he was here before Boston. Like he's, he's just, it's so easy for him to do that. And some of us, what we do, and we recognize this because we moved to California about six years ago. Have we got any Californian phrases? No, no we haven't. Um, but some of us, we change geography and we think it'll change our destiny. And it doesn't. Yes. And you're like, I'm pretty sure God has called me to Boston. Great. And You get to Boston, you're like, I'm pretty sure God might not have called me to Boston after all. <laughs> the economy, I'm pretty sure, right? And what happens is we change geography. We make a geographical realignment, but it's not a mental realignment. Yes. So and Boston is bigger than us, but of course, Boston is never bigger than you because you're a son or daughter of the living God, right? Yes. So how could, how could a city be bigger than who you are? It's like, it's impossible to do that. And when you take the old you to the new place, nothing changes. Yes. We get that, right? Uh, it sounds like I'm boasting. I'm not. I'm actually boasting in my weakness. I hate stuff like this. A number of years ago, I was invited to, Julian's done it, and I don't know if you went with them that time. A number of years ago, I was invited to be the guest speaker at Windsor Castle, you know, where uh, King Charles, and oh, it's too painful, isn't it? <laughs> queen, queen Elizabeth, it's just too painful. Um, she, was, she was the queen at that time, and we all had hope in our hearts, but less so. Less so now. Um, <laughs> so anyway, we're, we're in Windsor Castle. and I, I get this call. It's my friend Pete again. He says, hey, I'd like you to come and speak at this. And it's all these ministers. And he mentions these people. They're like my heroes, right? So it's like, they're all going to be there. He said, I'd like you to speak. And I just laugh because I'm like, Pete, I'm, I'm not like this forceful, charismatic individual. right? I'm just me. Like, it's just, and, and he said, uh, I said, well, who, who did it last year? And he said, um, Desmond Tutu. Like, well, no pressure then, right? And he said, and we don't, we don't mention in advance who the speaker is. And I'm like, that's going to be like the biggest letdown ever. <laughs> when you, well, last year's Archbishop Desmond Tutu, and this year is this wee bald man from Scotland, right? It's like the biggest letdown ever. And we go there, and it is, it's one of those gatherings where every meal, isn't it, it's like how many spoons are there? You don't know whether to eat with them or to play them. There's so many spoons at the table. And, and everything's just going off in me. That's the exact opposite of Scotland, right? This is like, this is everything that my nation has warred against. This is elite privilege. This, like, everything where I grew up is the exact, I grew up in a kind of slum area, and so this is like, it's far from, that. And, and I just thought, Gosh, this is the most embarrassing thing. Look at me. If my friends I grew up with could see me now, they would stab me. This would be awful. This is like, right? And what I'm trying to say there is it just exposed all my insecurities. And there I was, a minister, church planter, effective in different areas, but really my head was still in Glasgow. I was still who I was. Like Jesus had transformed me, but my head it needed some change, and uh, perhaps what I'm suggesting today is that we can't move into new territory with the old mentality, and so I encourage you in this, that this is actually a deeply encouraging word, and if the Lord would have us bring this, it's because there's an assignment of territory coming to your church that is greater than your capacity right now to embrace, and faith will shout it and declare it and decree it, but it actually won't help when you're in it unless there's been a mind shift unless there's something that moves in that area. And so Saul gets there, he's head and shoulders above everyone else. He's got genius, he's got brilliance, he's got good looks, he's got it all. But his problem is that it doesn't matter if you're head and shoulders above everybody else if your head's in the wrong place. All you'll have is a big head in the wrong place. It doesn't actually matter in that. And they come to the land, and Saul says to the servant who's with them, Come, let's go back, lest my father cease to care about the donkeys and become anxious about us. And here he is, on the borders of favor, listening to his internal fears. Like he's standing right in the place, he doesn't know it in this moment, but he's standing right in the place where there's an intersection of a divine connection over his life that can change everything in a moment and he's completely oblivious to it. And it's at that moment that his internal fears start speaking. His anxious mind kicks in and he begins to yield to what's familiar to him. I need to go back. I need to go back to who I was, to what I've done before. Ever been there? ever find yourself, like I, I know part of the reason the Lord would have me speak this word today is because many of you have just had a promotion in your job and you feel way out of your depth. You feel like, oh my goodness, I'm in this place of transition and I don't know what to do and they've clearly got the wrong person and my resume has over-impressed. And is Boston like California when people put a resume in? I don't know how many people have put a resume in and I think it's like Pope John Paul coming on our staff as an intern. You're like, wow, the things you've done in ministry are amazing, in the UK, we don't, we don't really do that, do we? we? We just say, I do a bit of this, it's like when Rory McIlroy, uh, who's a golfer, you familiar Rory McElroy, who's a golfer, one time he's in front of us in the line, I'm well off track here, but he's in front of us as we're coming through immigration. And my wife, uh, we moved here in a visa that Catherine has, and the technical description of her, it's an 01 visa, which uh, the technical description is, she's an alien of extraordinary talent. Right, so if you're an alien of extraordinary talent, there's an alien of extraordinary talent line. And we're in that line, and in front of us is Rory McIlroy and Graham McDowell. And so they're, they're walking up, and I'm really curious to hear what Rory will say, he's from Northern Ireland, I'm really curious to hear what he says. So I'm kind of leaning in, and the, the immigration officer says, you know, what do you do? And he says, I play a bit of golf. He just leaves it at that. Well, that's how we do resumes, right? It's like, if you're Rory Maricler, I play a bit of golf. And in this moment, he's standing. Saul is on the borders of favor, but he's still thinking like he's always thought. And in those moments, what we need, help me, Lord, what we need is a thinking partner. Because remember what you said at the beginning? If God is for you, who can be against you? The answer is You. Sometimes you need a thinking partner who can help you explore the future with boundaries that are safe for you. Some people who can help you see that actually the way that you're thinking right now is going to sabotage everything God is trying to save and everything he's trying to set up. And he's someone who will stretch you in that. And his servant begins to do that. Thinking partner who moves us into new dimensions of our thinking. And Saul's servant speaks to that and he says, look Saul, there's a perspective missing in your life in this moment. There's a seer living in this town and I think we should go see him. I think we need a kingdom perspective. I think we need a kingdom connection to begin to open up everything that God has for us. And one of the things that the father would love to do individually, forget collectively in this, is that he would like to take us from the borderland that you've been in, where homelessness is a crisis, He would like to take us from looking at from the borders and he'd like to bring us into a broader place by introducing some kingdom connections that allow you to do things that you never thought were possible now at this point i need to uh, almost shake off a little of the false humility that i seem to carry everywhere i go and just say to you that um, everywhere we go we get favor with the city when we showed up in california we knew very few people we had no money no job no school for our kids, no home, nothing. God just said go, and so we show up in this place that is astronomically expensive, and I know you know what that feels like, with no job. That's not a wise move, right? It doesn't make sense when you've got two kids who are teenagers and all of that stuff. And we do it, and we have, we have our whole story in Northern Ireland was stepping into the story of God for the sake of the city. In other words, what God in his beautiful kindness and no credit at all to us who were sabotaging as we went, uh, in his beautiful kindness, he gave us favor right over the city and over the nation. He did that, and so when we came, I was kind of known as the city guy. And so here I come to Orange County, and it's 3.2 million people. And instead of one city, it's 34 cities. And um, I don't know if it's like this East nice Coast, but you, when you cross a street, you can be in three cities. It's the weirdest thing. You're like. What's going on with you people? Like It's that's, that's just strange to me. And, it's, and I'm thinking, God, how on earth, how on earth do we influence the city? And I was believing the lie that Orange County was bigger than me. Uh, and it seemed really true in that moment that it, what was there was bigger than what he would put within us. And uh, I won't bore you with details on it, nor am I seeking to parade any success in it. Uh, but last week, our congresswoman is in a gathering and uh, she's there with her political folks and she says hey you really should go to dwelling place Anaheim every time I go there it feels like hope every time I go there it feels like hope and I hear that story I'm thinking how do we get there in five years God where our political representative is speaking we don't even we've had so many awards from the senate that we've never put in for because we're from the UK and you don't ever say we're brilliant at something you say I play a bit of golf and we get all these awards from the Senate and the city and all these people. I still don't know how we get them. We, our team just did the mayor's prayer breakfast there, and they got to do supernatural healing right at the thing. And it's not, it's not exactly conservative territory. No, sorry, conservative, Republican territory. And so there we are doing supernatural healing with Disney, because our, our city is Anaheim, with Disney and the angels representatives, not the angels in heaven but the Anaheim angels who are probably being crushed by the Red Sox as we speak and we're there and, and the Lord's grace is just on that and he gives you favor I guess what I'm saying is once you break through the inner barrier everything's possible once you begin to see that the Lord has brought you here, that it's not accidental, and I'm not speaking about human potential here, I'm talking about breaking through the ceilings in our mind and in our relationships and in our geography and our resources that we need to break through. If someone is stuck in life, it's usually in one of those four areas, and God often will bring a thinking partner alongside them to say, Hey, I want to introduce you to something more. So let me try to wrap this up, and move forward in leaps and bounds. And uh, wrap this up. He goes to see Samuel, who's the seer, and uh, one of the things I love about these guys is just the prophetic culture that they create, and who they are, and the way that they live their life, the way they raise their kids, and all of that. And Saul goes to see Samuel, and Samuel does what prophetic people always do. They do two things. Firstly, they tell you what's on your mind, and secondly, they reveal what's in your heart. That's how you know you're in a prophetic culture. The thing that you've been thinking about, the donkeys, he says, they're safe. You don't have to worry. Everything's okay. You're good. The business is going to flourish. You don't have to be anxious for your father. It's all good. And most of us, when we get a prophetic word, that's about it, isn't it? We're like, that's what we want almost from it. Just tell me everything's okay. But then he says this. He said, now who does all of heaven turn to but you? So he tells him what's on his head. But then he reveals to him, here's what God has hidden in your life. You didn't know Saul that you were a king in waiting. But that's who you are. Now, who's the whole of heaven? And Saul's like, I'm just a I'm just a lad from Benjamin, from the the least clan. And you can see again his internal barriers coming up. And he says this that, that there's an awareness in his heart that he doesn't have what it takes to bring solutions to the city. You have a huge leadership challenge as a church. You have 1,500 people experiencing homelessness in your city and you're the light of the world. That's a huge leadership challenge. Uh, If I could encourage you and be so bold, and I hope I don't overstep here, if I can encourage you and be so bold, you cannot leave the stewardship of a city to abandoned orphans who have positions called governor or mayor or whatever, irrespective of their political viewpoint. They're just orphans who are no better, no brighter than what you have and what you carry. And if we leave the solutions for our city to politicians, the city will never change. Because change doesn't come from the top down, it comes from the inside out. Right? It comes from the inside out. And so you have 1,500 people homeless, you have 18% of your community living below the poverty line. That's a huge opportunity, isn't it? Yeah. That's a time for, oh God, you gotta break through some lids because I don't think I can do anything about that. Yeah. I don't think, I don't think there's anything that I could do to change that. God, would you, would you do something in that? You have, you have a road here called Recovery Road. I saw it in the way in, uh, I think they call it Methadone Mile. And I, I watched the people there, I watched them. Uh, Griffin was kind enough to show us the sights of the city wherever he is on the way in. <laughs> kind man that you are. <laughs> and, and I watched them wrestle with mental anguish, sights that are all too familiar with us at home. It, it's so familiar where we are to be honest with you. One time we were out having coffee together and I looked over at this man and he was just speaking into the air and I'm thinking, oh, poor man. He was dressed exactly like me. He was wearing exactly the same clothes I was wearing. Do you remember? I'm like this poor man. I watch him for about 20 minutes. He's speaking away and like, oh, he's really disturbed. And then I realized he actually had his AirPods in and was talking to somebody on the phone. But the prevalence of mental illness in the community made that my first thought, right? It's like it's so prevalent in the community that my first thought is, oh God, you gotta give us solutions because we, we have such need. We want to step into your story for the city. And you know the story of Saul. Saul was entrusted with kingdom authority to supply the destiny of a nation for the glory of God and his righteousness to the surrounding peoples. And he never quite got there, really. He has this remarkable transformation moment where he prophesies and does all that. But he, he never quite was able to overcome who he was. And so in the end of his journey, he self-destructs because his life baggage just brings him down. And he never understood that God, who God had ordained him to be was enough. And even though God was for Saul, Saul was against Saul. Mm -hmm. And in the end, God looks and he says, don't worry, I found somebody else. I found this boy. He's a man after my own heart. I'm going to give the kingdom to him. And David began to expand it, as you know. And I think the Lord is going to expand who you are. I think he's going to put great grace on you. You're clearly outgrowing here, just in the evidence of today. Um, There's favor that the Lord has for you, that for some of you, he's going to have to lift the lid of character because there's nothing worse than rulers with poor character. There's favor that he's put in you that is going to require such a mind shift. There's somebody he's calling into areas of governance. And the table that you sit at here is not the only table you sit at in life. He wants to give you other tables, tables of significant authority, tables that change the story in the city. And you may be a bit like I was and backing off from all the language of it, all the spoons, whatever that equates to in your world. But you're like, I don't know what to do with this. But God has insight that he wants to share with you. And uh I felt them say, I felt them say that you're going to see, uh, before I knew much about your city, I felt them say you're going to see expansion to the east of your city. You're going to see significant expansion in the east of your city, that God is going to grace that. Uh, When that happens, that will be a sign to you. You'll have an awareness there that now is your time to arise as the church within the city. You don't have to solve it right now. It's enough to be at the table if I could be so bold. And humble with you. Right now, it's enough to be at the table and getting healed up and changed and transformed and meeting amazing, beautiful people beside you. But there's coming a point where it changes from a table just of abundance to a table of governance and inheritance. And you begin to understand that the territory the Lord has gone before you, isn't it? The word where He said, See, I send my angel ahead of you to the territory that I'm bringing you into. And my job today really wasn't so much to preach to you. And I confessed this to Julian Kathy earlier. It was just to make an announcement that your territory is expanding, and when the time comes, some of you it's going to feel like you're bumping up against lids. But that actually, what God has placed in you is bigger than what He's placed you into. What He's placed in you is bigger than what He's placed you into. And so I don't know what time you guys um, kind of finish. Is it was okay to pray, Catherine? Would you come and? Uh, what time do you finish? Nine what? Six. 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 So, oh wow, I had time to. Um, I hope you caught. I hope you were able to catch some of that through my Texas straw. <laughs> <laughs> I want to tell you about the best prayer meeting in our church as Catherine Combs. It's a brand new prayer meeting. Uh, we, we have a worship and prayer. It goes on. I feel like all week, but it, it's not true. It was on maybe five times a week. We have Spanish prayer, Portuguese prayer, Korean prayer, English prayer. There's one other that's escaping me. Can you remember what it is? Did you say I did say Spanish. Uh, there's one other. Um, but a couple of weeks ago, someone started a new prayer meeting in our church. It's the early morning. It's the Sunday morning prayer, so it's the prayer meeting before our service. Uh, the kitty, kitty, is our prayer leader. And um, she's, just, she's just wonderful. Wonderful, godly woman. But she's been asking me for ages, can we do pre-service prayer? And I've said no. And that's just awkward, isn't it? Because the very least we should be doing is praying before the service. But I was <laughs> right, like, no, I just don't think we should do that. And I, I didn't have a good answer why. Well, about three weeks or however long it is, two or three weeks ago, maybe more, uh, we started a pre-service prayer. But the idea came from a four-year-old girl. And so this little four-year-old said to her mom and dad, I want to start a prayer meeting before church. And they live an hour away from where we are. So they come early. And this little four-year-old girl, her first week, her prayers are really short. So it's like the shortest prayer meeting you could possibly go to. Because she has faith that Jesus has done exactly what he's asked when she's asked them, so it's like, why would I keep praying? I just asked. It's like, I don't, I don't even know why would keep praying. Uh, so the first week she was there on her own. Uh, I think the second week she was there on her own, and the third week, which I believe was Easter Sunday, or the week before, she had one person come to join her. This other four-year-old, uh, there, and like it just feels like the holiest thing ever because they don't know what they can't do, right? Yes. They don't know that four-year-olds can't host the best prayer slot in the church. Right? They don't know that adults are supposed to lead the prayer meeting. They don't know that revival's not coming through four-year-olds. They don't know any of that stuff. They're just two four-year-olds, and they're probably, who knows, They might mean three or four this week, who knows? Um, and so I'm doing, what would you do if you were the pastor of a church like that? What would your number one request be? Can I come? Like, I'm not four years old. I'm like this 50-something-year-old man, and I know that's a little bit creepy, but is it okay if I come to the four-year-old prayer meeting? Like, like, can I be there? Can I be in on something like that where God is introducing dimensions of his presence to his people that eclipse what we've seen structurally? where God is no longer operating in seasons, but dimensions where he's beginning to unveil things that he's had for the future and he's bringing them into the present where the curtain is being torn and God is ushering in things that the church has been praying for but is not yet ready for and they're praying something with their mouth but there's something in their life and God is saying, I'm going to introduce it through people who have no boundaries in who they are and who believe that I could do far above what they could ask or think or imagine. And God is going to do that around Boston he'll find it and I believe it's here mm-hmm. I really believe it's here and so we're, we're going to pray and uh, Catherine has this beautiful she's just beautiful all around really four foot eleven of beauty um, but she has this beautiful ability that I don't have she can see in pictures and I'm really terrible at that and the rest of you you get a little bit intimidated when people are brewing at something and you're like I should be good at this I'm the pastor I should be good at this she's like so am I like that's right that's right uh, so we're going to pray. We're going to invite Jesus to do what he wants to do. But um, here's what I'd love you to do in a, a moment. I'd love you to stand if you know that you've been against you. Mm-hmm. That you're like, yeah, God is for me, but I've been entertaining thoughts. I've been developing relationships. and I'm, I'm not talking about immoral things here. You understand that, that um, really briefly, the, the, the deliverance that Christ brings into our lives delivers us from immorality but deliverance is not the Christian life inheritance is and so when we talk about immorality that's already you're already like I'm assuming you're way beyond that like immoral thoughts, immoral relationships. I'm just assuming that's there. What I'm trying to get us ready for is an inheritance and that's where you deal with the insecure thoughts and the thoughts that are not fitting for the future that God has. And so if you're aware today, you're like, I've been entertaining things in relationships and connections and expectations where I'm sabotaging the very thing that God wants to do. Um, Would you mind just standing where you are? If your sense is that you are, There's a a number of people here, and I'd just like to see this by a show of hands, and and, uh, please only stand if you sense this, it's important. uh, It's just the way we're wired in these things. But uh, where are those of you, You, you've had a promotion in the last, where are we, April? You've had a promotion this year in work. You've suddenly got upgraded, and you're in an arena of responsibility, and visibility, and God is gracing. Is there anyone else? I see one here, there's some here. Oh, okay, there's there's way more. And as many as that is, I believe it was six or seven, so we'll go with seven, it just sounds better than six, doesn't it? Um, We'll go with seven and say that that you're gonna see that right across your community, uh, because God is going to entrust you with significant resources as a house, and he's gonna bless you with that. Not so that you have more money, but to teach you how to govern with a wealth mindset. Which is a a different thing. Uh, So those of you standing in that, which almost looks like all of us, Uh, there's some of you right now and you you have made the geographical change and you just feel really swamped by Boston, like you love it, but you feel a little overwhelmed by it. You're like, God, I'm here and I'm in obedience and I've come to where you've called me to be, but it feels so big to me and I I don't really know what I'm here to do. Uh, If that's you in a moment, we're we're going to invite you to uh, raise your hand, but we do want to pray. And um, maybe just, this is what we do with our kids at home. Would you wash your hands like this? And then just hang them out to dry, just like this. Father, your voice is not an intimidating voice. It is inviting to us. We thank you for the inheritance that you have for us. Would you now by your Holy Spirit come and rest upon us? Would you come and break the lies of the enemy over our minds, over our hearts? Specifically today we ask that you would break the lie that what we've been placed into is larger than what you've placed in us.
1: This is the Sunday morning podcast from The Table, Boston, where you'll find the latest teachings from our Sunday meetings. Find more from us at thetableboston.com.